Hey there, my name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce Detoxicity, which is the podcast that you were just about to listen to. I hope that you have been listening and enjoying for the entire time that we've been doing this. If you are new, welcome. If you are a listener of long standing, welcome again and thank you. Um, I appreciate the fact that you listen to this podcast. If you listen and enjoy, please feel free to leave a comment. Please feel free to rate on iTunes or any other podcast platforms that have the ability to rate. And please subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Also, I would love it. It's not a requirement, but I would love it if you followed me on social media. I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. That is T-I-S-M-I-K-E-J-O-S-E-P-H. And I'm on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I don't need to spell that out for anybody. I'm also on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. But you can find me on Instagram and Twitter. And if you would like to be on the show or you know somebody who'd be a good fit for an interview on the show, feel free to reach out to me via either of those two platforms or you can drop me an old-fashioned email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Once again, that is detoxpod at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it and I hope you enjoy. Marcus Mims is a songwriter and vocal producer, originally from the Detroit suburbs, now based in the New York City suburbs. What do we call in North Jersey now? He's also known as Journal. Anyway, there's a big difference between the Big D and the Big Apple, and Marcus learned a lot about that difference when he made his move to the New York area. That adjustment isn't the only challenge that Marcus has experienced. We talk about how to deal with loss at a very young age, uh, we talk about how Marcus recovered from a major medical scare, and we discuss self-care methods and why Marcus doesn't shy away from treating himself well, as you shouldn't. I'm proud to bring you all my conversation with Marcus Journal Mims. Okay, my name is Marcus Mims, also known as Journal. I am a songwriter producer originally from Detroit, Michigan. Got a lot of Southern roots in me, so you might hear a funny little twang every once in a while. I am early 30s, just celebrated my third year living on the East Coast. My official third. Thank you, thank you. I'm not in New York City, but I'm in the sixth borough as some may call it. I know I know that's illegal to say to real New Yorkers. Nah, man. I'm, I, I'm a real New Yorker. Jersey Jersey is more New York than Staten Island is, so... I heard you. I'll let you take that. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Yeah, so I'm in Jersey City, not not too far from the Hudson. And uh, yeah, I, I moved here on uh, October 5th of 2018, so just, just hit my three-year mark. Right on. I don't count 2020 because... <laughs> You know, 2020 didn't happen. It didn't happen. Y'all say it did, but I don't believe it. <laughs> Aside from that, yeah, I'm pretty easy going. I'm an Aquarius. I don't hey. know what else. Yeah, that's pretty much what, it. What, what got you into music? Like, what made you decide that you wanted to be a songwriter and a, and a producer? Ooh, okay. So I've been singing since I was nine months, according to my mother. Whoa. Yeah, I started real early. They heard me singing in the backseat of a car. My, my aunt. And my mother were driving and I started, you know, I didn't have the lyric, but I was definitely humming this melody. I think it was, I don't know if it was Johnny Gill, My, My, My. I know that's the one that I would sing a lot when I was about two. Um, <laughs> yeah, I started, mm, nah, you know, my little baby voice, whatever. And my mom told me that I was trying to sing. So from there, I did like church choir, stuff like that. Didn't really like that. Got into band when I was in fifth grade. Went on to do band and at a predominantly Black 
high school that I was attending. And that's when everything changed. Drumline had just come out. Okay. And this school that I went to, the high school, was actually modeled after the college, the fake college. The, the, the college that Drumline was based on. Based on. My, yeah, so which is some people have some debate, but I we all know it's Florida A&M University. Right. Good old FAMU. My director was from that school. So a lot of the things you saw on Drumline I was doing, like the the hazing, all of that, like the running up the steps with my instrument. And really, <laughs> as funny as it is, I learned so much about music, though. One thing my school was big on was musicality and uh, voicing. So you got the different instruments playing different things. And one thing that this school taught me was how to interweave and like harmonies and how to have something else moving around somewhere else and while the lead vocal is going on or the, the melody that's right. really what we're doing learned a lot about that had to move away from the city that I spent the majority of my life in to a suburb that was predominantly white okay and rich <laughs> so I didn't I didn't continue band there because it was a no for me I wasn't doing that kind of band uh, I, I was high stepping, y'all walking. I ain't doing that. Right. I mean, so. it, it, it explain the difference for the people that don't know between a band experience in a majority black situation and a band experience in a majority white situation. All right, for sure. Let's start with the marching. The first thing is at a black school, we doing this thing called high step, and it's where your knee and your torso creates a ninety degree angle. And we would do that. That's the first, that's the first major difference. Second, we don't have the stands, the little small um, music stands at the end of our instruments, like they do at some schools that are non-black. We had to memorize everything, every drill, everything. Third, we danced. And I mean like pop, pop, pop that ass. We were jumping up, spinning around, doing the splits. It was crazy we we did the battle of the bands and that was like aggressive you know the biggest difference though in black schools is you know you hear like the one time at band camp yeah yeah we we weren't being in <laughs> being band at the black school is cool you know being in band in the white school is not as cool as like nerd you know because right. because they weren't they weren't cool at my school you have flavor if you were in band I'm like oh okay i can't wait for the halftime because our, our football team sucks so i can't <laughs> wait for the halftime to see and we played all the popular records that was on the radio and the crowd was hype every single time i'm talking about the visitors and the home like both sides like hey like we you know okay. it, was, it was that kind of thing aside from being one of the best experiences of my life like i said before i learned so much about music um i heard music completely differently because we're taking these records that are on the radio and we're in a sense transposing it to instruments so we're recreating the bass line, the drums, what the, what the artist is singing. And then we got all these other instruments. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to do some cool stuff that complement all the stuff that we're familiar with. And we make it a concert experience. I left that school when I was 15 and went to that white high school. And I was like, I'm not doing this band thing. But I've been singing, you know, I've been singing for a long time. And so the, I think it was like, one of those academic advisors or whatever, she convinced me to, she's like, well, we have an awesome choir. And I was like, <laughs> nah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. And so then I walked into the choir room or whatever, and they got this big ass Grammy. 
Yeah. Okay. Sitting on, yeah, I was like, what's this? And so they said, oh, well, you know, the Grammys used to do best music program before, like, up until like 2003, they would win the Grammy. Like, you wouldn't get on the stage. It would be one of those, you know, things. Right. That's so where they would. Before the show or whatever. Right. Right. And then, and in 2002, my high school won best music department. Oh wow! And I'm just like, okay, y'all might be, y'all might be doing something. And then I found out this high school had like 12 choirs. I was like, okay, y'all are serious. Y'all are, y'all are not playing. <sighs> so from, forgive my ignorance here, but why does the school need 12 choirs? You know, it was like <laughs> the introductory choir. You got the intermediate you got the expert you got these smaller ensembles you got the all-male choir you got the all-female choir you know small smaller choirs that can do chamber pieces which is quite boring but beautiful at the same time right yeah it was just the thing they kept adding new ensembles you know as the music program grew wow so 12 choirs yeah and walk my ass in. Oh, can I cuss? Wait. Yes. I walk my ass in there, and you know, I'm fresh from Southfield, Michigan, which is. I live uh, in Southfield. I, I I know. Wait a minute. Wait, are you from Michigan? I I lived in Michigan for a couple of years. My mom and my stepdad live still live in Oak Park. Okay, <laughs> I had no. So okay, the school I'm talking about is Southfield High. Okay, That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we played Oak Park too. What's up? what's up Oak Park we know what's up but anyway I was wearing this is 2004 so I'm wearing tall tees with the sticker still on it I'm wearing my huge dickies and extreme culture shock I carry the brush around because I'm I want to make sure my waves is, waves is tight always yeah I gotta have my waves tight always at all times I remember with my super long like tall tee this girl walks up to me she's like you have a dress on that's a dress I'm like it's not and it's fly and don't touch my hair no more thanks so much um so here i am in this choir yep. room like what what the hell am i doing here and i'm singing all soulful and she's like you know then my director uh, she kind of took me on her wing because she knew i was like a fish out of water in that school and i learned so much from her and what i did was i combined what i learned from her and what i learned in band and um, I started writing when I was 16. I was also an artist. That's a whole nother thing I can't even get into because <laughs> you were in the music industry, something like that. I did a, I did a lot of shit and I also tried out for making the band. And uh, after that didn't go well, I decided the artist thing wasn't right for me. So I started writing really heavily in my freshman year in college. So that's how it started. And I think my background being very unique with like the classical thing, because I went to, I also went to college with a little bit of money for doing my vocal music education program. Little, I guess you can call it a scholarship, but yeah. So I had a really unique experience and I was doing pop and urban music, you know? And yeah, I started vocal coaching on the side, making a little money, doing little sessions here and there on campus in people's dorm room studios. And started learning a lot working with artists new and some people who you know later I got into some newly signed artists and you know okay. just been grinding ever since grinding ever since wow yeah so 
it's funny because I think a lot of people who are behind the scenes in in a production capacity or a songwriting capacity eventually decide that they're going to come back out and be artists. Like, are you comfortable in sort of like the behind the scenes role? Yeah, definitely. Definitely behind the scenes. I have no desire to be an artist at this point. That is the scariest shit you can do, <laughs> in my opinion. What? Put yourself out there for the world to judge? Fuck that. I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Um, you know, we know Sammy, Sammy Pisano. Yeah. Shout out to Sammy. That's Mutually, right. He has him and a couple others are trying to convince me to just drop a record. Just so what I've agreed to do is if I ever decide I'm going to do the gorillas style, maybe a cartoon with a different name, Moby Journal, that's for sure. Maybe like I might even do a Sia type thing, you know, something like that. Get a little yeah. mask or, or, you know, something to obscure yeah. yourself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Little Phantom of the Opera, something like that. So I cannot be in front of a crowd or sing. I even get nervous at karaoke. So Oh, for real. Unless I'm drunk as shit. Like if I'm drunk, <laughs> then I might <laughs> I'm not gonna sing anything good. It's not gonna sound good, but I'll, I'll get up there and do it. Yeah. Right. So right. yeah. But so, no to be artist. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what ended up bringing you to New York slash New Jersey? Okay, so when I was well, in 2015, I let me let me back up. I've in 2012, I learned how to send things to record companies the right way. I cold emailed everybody. I figured out like sometimes it's first name dot last name at you know sonymusic.com yeah. or whatever. I figured it out. I I got to know every big name A and R music executive I can name what project they were on whatever I'm looking at allmusic.com and there was no genius back then so it wasn't right. as easy as it is now I'm looking on the back of CD jackets because you know to the young folks listening there's this thing it's called a compact disc, disc. you play um, music on it you play music on it I know where where do you one play right it? here <laughs> shout out to that you know what I'm saying who's is that Janet it's Jill. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was cold emailing people, and it led up to me uh, taking a really cool meeting with um, the SVP at Warner Chapel. All of this happened from a cold email. Flew out to New York, and met with him at like nine o'clock in the morning, like fresh off of his, you know, like coffee run. He That's was dope. waiting on me. Yeah, it was crazy. Super crazy how it happened. Contacted some people I knew from networking. Went over to. The people who discovered Rihanna, not Jay-Z, the people who really discovered Carl Sturkin and Evan Rogers. Yeah, Evan yep. Rogers, yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Remember those guys over at SRP way out in Bronxville, which is past Yonkers. Had to yeah, tell, that's take a, that, uh, that's, that's uh, that? White Plains. You got to take the Metro North. Metro North, yeah. <laughs> which, which fucked me up because they had the air conditioning on blast and I got <laughs> allergies. So <laughs> I walk in sniffing and shit you know i'm like please hold I, i'm like stepping out the room getting toilet paper trying to like <laughs> plug my nose uh but i got started that way and that i was there for like a week and a half and um i, I caught up with the intern who used to work for us my man's name steve rifkin okay back when steve rifkin had, had a label at universal you, you know he had gotten invited to leave from what i understand <laughs> um but uh, i caught up with one of his interns who was a manager at this time and he wanted to introduce me to 
he took me around and did, we did a bunch of cool stuff, but he wanted to introduce me to this other manager that was looking for a songwriter. And I met him on, I think this, the day before I left, I met him and we really hit it off. He, he seemed to be really cool and was really into my music, my demos. He really, really um, was rocking with everything I was making. And from there, I would come back to New York. I, I signed with him like a couple months later, the two of them, a company called Blank Label. I think it's defunct now. I don't know. But I signed with them. And I was in New York like every month for at least a weekend or whatever, taking meetings. I, I went to every record company. I met with every single A&R that would pick up the phone for us. Wow. Um, played my music, <laughs> went to L.A. A lot of promises, a lot of songs being placed on hold a lot of real ass feedback yeah 2018 decided to actually come and move here close to my management my attorney and my artist conquilian yeah uh, we moved we both moved at the same time with another friend of ours um, who also does music and we just thought it was going to be like a little like a boy meets world type of thing it was like you know two guys and a, and a girl in an apartment you know trying to make it you know <laughs> yeah shit got real then real 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 i bet um, that that's that's a uh like a crazy situation moving from a place like michigan which i know having lived there for a couple of years to then be on the outside of new york city so it's a it's culture shock it's a different environment but you're also trying to like hustle hard and and mm -hmm. get work and and get yourself situated what was that transition like you know, let me be careful because I, I, I can get real honest real quick. I'm going to give you the diplomatic version of that. Um, okay. Shit got real. But by that, I mean things changed. Yeah. You know, people who you I was working with when I'm in front of them, you know, it's it's, it's different. I, mean, I live here. It's not a weekend trip anymore. This right. is not a, a vacation, a workation. This is not that I live here. What's up? What are we doing? So what I had to do was to take my career and take control over it. Basically for me, I, the transition was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to deal with. I was working full-time at Blue Cross in Michigan. Oh, wow, okay. And while still doing music, and I didn't come out here with a job. You know, I had saved, I was good, but you look at your bank account, you're like, oh, I'll go here. You know, y'all love in New York, y'all love to go get, <laughs> get a drink. Let's go get a coffee. Let's go out to lunch. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do that shit. And then I go, and this is like, that bank account said, hello. Mm -hmm. You know? And then y'all, everything's way more expensive out here than it is in, in Michigan. That way is true. more. I want to say double. Even McDonald's is more. Why? Why yeah. is McDonald's more expensive? I don't, I don't know. know. I wish I could tell you. I wish yeah. I could tell you. But you're absolutely right. Like, you go, I mean, more or less anywhere else in the country with the exception of four or five other places and, and nothing's as, as expensive as it is here. Right, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 2018, like I said, I was only here for two months uh, of 2018, two and a half months, but 2019. Okay. A big learning experience. Yeah, let's call it that. I like it. <laughs> <that sounds. laughs> let's call it that. That year is a special year because that is when I stopped biting my tongue on certain things. I started demanding people to fulfill promises or get the fuck out. Not literally get the fuck out, but because some people might take that as a dig and somebody else is not. It's I not mean, that. Just, 
like put up or shut up you know what i'm saying like absolutely yeah or make my own way and figure out whatever that means so that's exactly what happened probably with me putting myself first i probably pissed some people off honestly that's cool you know i mean i hope you don't you don't see no dirt on my shoulder shoulder. So with that being said, I, I had to learn that the hard way because I'm I'm a chronic people pleaser. I am. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, sometimes I think for some people it can take one event for them to finally get in the head like, oh, like just because I'm nice to people doesn't mean that people are automatically going to be nice to me. I need to put myself first. Sometimes it's a series of events. Some people never learn. So right. I feel like it's important for everybody to get to a stage where they're like, there's nothing wrong with pleasing people, but you have to look out for yourself before right. you look out for anybody else. Yeah. I mean, cause if I left my life in somebody else's hands, you know, where the hell would I be? Right. Right now, if I had to just let things be, we wouldn't even be having a conversation. Low key, like, and that's all I'm going to say with that. Yeah. As it relates to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I say this a lot. People look down on selfishness like it's a, a bad trait. And I think it can be a bad trait if you don't think about anybody else. But there's a difference between putting yourself first and being selfish. Right. You know, there's being selfish in a way that prioritizes you. And there's a, a way of being selfish that excludes everybody else. And like, you're not trying to exclude people. You're just trying to... Look out for yourself because at the end of the day, nobody else is going to. Right. Intention is key. That's really I it. love that. I love that. Yeah. I mean, because the same word can mean so many different things based on that one ingredient. Like what do you mean behind it? Yeah. And because being selfish has always had a negative connotation, we're taught to share and you know, all that shit when we're in kindergarten, right? We're taught all those things. And in reality, we should have been taught the different kinds of selfish. What What is the positive version of that? What is the not so positive? But again, in kindergarten, we those concepts are very hard to grasp. Right. That, it'll... Yep. And some 26-year-olds. Yo, that's so. right. You're absolutely right. You know. <laughs> so. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I guess, brings us to the present moment. And, you know, like, you've got your setup, you're working with Khan. I know that he has a lot of irons in the fire. What is it like to, like, live with somebody and work with somebody, you know, so you've got, like, a professional relationship, but you're also, like, homeboys? Mm-hmm. No, it's really cool, actually. <clears throat> I wouldn't have it any other way. There's like a big brother, little brother kind of vibe there, which really works out. And, you know, things get tested when you live with somebody. And like I said, there were past tense, three of us. I Uh, can draw a conclusion based on the way you phrase that. Yeah, we're, everybody's cool. Cool. Now, but yeah, it's great. It's, It's really fantastic because, you know, we were, very close before and we have we we spent a lot of time during when I was developing and working with him he was super super young I was super young too but I had already worked with another artist so I had I figured out how to maneuver around 
another creative mind who is sensitive about his shit. I am that same way. A lot of understanding, a lot of conversation, communication is paramount. It's so important. And what we learned very early on with working with each other was that is the key. And we communicate things before something happens, not after the fact. So for example, like, okay, well, how do you keep your house? Because I like to do like this. Can we like, like Saturdays, can Saturday be a day we clean? I take what I'll do this room, this room, this room, and you do this thing. Is that cool? Cool. We good. Also space. Like you got your own, my bedroom is my personal space, my personal sanctuary. It's go where I go to think and where I go to sleep off bad vibes, saying, understanding like social cues and body language is big. It's like, you're not a good vibe. I'm going to let you rock. I'm gonna let you do your thing. So it it really worked out. There has not been any huge blow up or anything like that because of communication. There's not a lot of misunderstandings. And then when we get together to do music in this very room, like say for example, one of us gets a little frustrated, go in your room, sleep it off, come back the next day. It's fine. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's just whatever. And and I, I that's my approach with everything. Like let everything just kind of be easy going. And you have peace. If as long as there's understanding, you know. I appreciate that. And one thing that I feel is so important and doesn't get discussed very much, especially between men, is the communication piece. Cause mm-hmm. it's so important, like you said, you said something I think very profound, which is to reach an agreement or discuss things before they become a problem. Like discuss things straight out at the beginning, have intention with what you're talking about so that it doesn't become like a, oh, well, I thought you, or you said, or you were acting like, or whatever it is. And and, and I'm curious like where you learned that. Cause it, it, I don't know if that's something taught in school. Like people don't understand social cues twice your age, twice my age, whatever, was that like intuitive? Did you learn that growing up? Was that something that you had to learn like living here? Like how did that mature level of communication? First of all, I appreciate you pointing that out because I guess I didn't realize that that was a mature thing, but yeah, I guess it is. And I, I think one of the things is when I'm watching TV and I'm watching a pretty well-written series, and I'm, I'm seeing how people jump to conclusions. I'm just like, just talk to each other. In my past life, I was probably a therapist, I think, because of how my friends are with me, people who are close to me. I'm, I'm a really detailed listener. And with that, I'm always providing the feedback because I'm listening so closely and I'm just trying to find where something went wrong. And I want to provide a different perspective. And it usually comes down to one common denominator. Y'all didn't talk. I could say the same thing for my parents. I watch the same argument over and over again. And what I'm noticing is y'all don't hear each other because y'all too busy worried about what you want to say next. And, and I've seen it play out. It's almost as if I can hit play on the same. It's like a loop if I want to use studio language. It's, uh-huh. it's like a loop. It's the same shit. And I would just kind of like quietly vow to myself like, oh, if I ever get married or whatever, the one thing that I have to stress is communication because i've seen it in so many things 
even in politics. And you can oh, yeah. say it in anything. It's the most common issue. And like I said, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can you, it's not even just communication, it's effective communication. Because you can say a bunch of shit, but you might not be getting through to somebody. What are the ways that people listen? And sometimes it's not even just what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. Tone of, tone of voice, you know. How can you get people to hear your heart? How can you get people to hear your perspective without being offended in the event that it is something more on the harsh side? You know, I trial and error. <laughs> and you can't be afraid. I think a lot of the reason that people are hesitant about communicating is because they're afraid. Well, two things that they're afraid of. They're afraid of revealing their true selves or their true intentions and they're mm -hmm. afraid of offending irreparably offending you know the person that they're speaking to and right. if you're afraid of yourself and you're afraid of the other person then nothing's gonna happen yeah fear is gonna hold a lot of people back you know and i try to avoid confrontation in, in a negative way i don't like to get buck with anybody we all have that capacity to you know get a little in our feelings and say a bunch of shit but sometimes the truth comes out when you're angry too that's right you know but at the same time you know put all that shit aside if you care if you care put it aside get to it talk it out and say all the words i always say that phrase say all the words i want you to i think it's so important to not just tell a little bit if you provide a whole perspective somebody might be like got you I know where this is coming from, or this sounds kind of like me, whatever. Say everything. Say it all. Get it all out. It's just really, really, really important to me, you know. And honestly, the people who I could be close to that I'm not as close to is probably because they can't communicate. Just being honest. That's a big issue, man. That yes. is a super big issue. I know that you are very passionate about mental health. I can see kind of the through line through all of this. But where does that kind of fit into where you're coming from? Wow. Um, well, <laughs> okay. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying. You, we're all passionate about mental health. I think that's part Ooh. of at least what brought Sammy and I closer together, even though like we work together and we're friends beyond that, you know, and also kind of what bonded me and Khan. And I've had conversations with him about mental health as well. What is it about sort of like wellness and mental health maintenance and self-care and all that stuff where did it become something that was interesting or necessary for you like where did it become like a passion point for you okay so when i when i really got to know what it is to be mentally healthy right <clears throat> and then what it is to not be as healthy i, I saw it in myself and I saw it in uh, a couple friends of mine, and I, I saw the effects of when when they were not able to process certain things that would happen to them, and and how it's affecting their current life. Same with me. I dealt with a lot of really traumatic things when I was young that I didn't really get, begin to process until I was older, and and I would be telling my story to somebody, and people would be like, "Whoa." I've never actually been to a funeral. I was like, yeah, I've been to over 30. So. And how old were you? At by the age of 25, I've been to 30 wow. funerals. 
Yeah. Wow. It, it's a lot. I've buried several very close relatives, and that will take a toll on somebody. Being young, it, it can create all type of attachment issues or commitment issues. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't want to commit because I think you're gonna die or whatever. And I, I saw how I, I was naturally not getting as close to people, and having walls up from other friendships that have gone sour and I just would hate to have to deal with that again and I have a friend of mine who's really struggling with just so many different what he calls demons and and I was listening to a podcast uh, called the friend zone and they're they, I don't know are you familiar with that podcast no uh they're New York based one of the guys is from Flint Michigan um okay. they're part of the yeah yeah it's really good the loudspeakers network is uh, who puts them out and Check they were, out. oh yeah, because the tagline is uh, for all things black mental health and wellness, because who in the hell wants a musty brain is <laughs> is what their tagline is. Um, I feel that. It's fantastic. And I would just listen to them talk, specifically the, the main person over there, her name is Hey Fran Hey. She's a Harlem raised mental health and wellness influencer. And it's not for clout. She's really about that life, specifically within people of color. And I would just listen to her exercises and, and and all of these different tools that she would use, Palo Santo and just different things you can do to help cleanse your space and your mind and breathing exercises. And I would try these things and I would feel better right there while I'm listening to the podcast. I'm driving in my car, coming home from a stressful ass day at Blue Cross. And people try the fuck out of me. Um, <laughs> I bet. Working for an insurance company, man, I can't even imagine. Uh, and I wasn't even dealing with the people. I was dealing with the companies who, with the groups. And I saw another. Yeah. You know, and just having to be an analyst was not fun. My passion grew from just learning from this podcast, looking into my own life and looking at the people around me and trying to take what I was learning you know, every day from this podcast, these books that I was reading. And I don't know, it just, it became a passion when I realized that I could benefit from it right here, right now. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question. It was kind of scattered. It does. No. I mean, how are you applying it kind of to your own life? Like just from what you said about that little piece about the, the passings of so many people close to you, like, how are you working to not get over it? Because I, I'm not a fan of the whole get over it type thing. But how are you yeah. kind of reconciling that with your life? Making peace with death is really my goal. It's not getting over it because, hell no, that person yeah, had an impact yeah. know, on, my, on my life. And I want them, I, I wish they were still here. It's understanding and having faith that they're in a better place at this time. And whatever your your belief is, where people go when they die, making peace with that and just having strength to to deal with it every day. Really keeping fonder memories of them, not in a way to where I was like, oh, I wish you were still here so we can do it again. But this is how I remember you. You're a memory and a pleasant one at that. And that, I think that is, it'll put a smile on your face versus focusing on the fact that they're not here anymore. Keeping them alive in your mind Mm. is important. 
It really is. I think of people that I've lost recently, and I think it's really important to keep the the positive things that they taught you, the experiences that you had in your mind. That way, it's almost kind of like they don't really go, like physically, they're not here. You can't touch them. You can't hug them anymore. But there's a piece of them that's here with you no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wish I had have uh, known more about mental health back in the day when I was first experiencing losses. I should have seen a grief counselor to learn how to process that differently back then, 12 years old, you know, all this stuff is happening. I'm just like, what? I'm just understanding what life is. Now I have to process the concept of death while so young, while going to middle school. Right. And it, it was, it, I mean, it's still something that is hard to deal with, but yeah, strength is important and positive memories is key right now. You know? right. And, yeah. and it might be forever. You know? Yeah. I mean, there are people that talk about toxic positivity. And I think it's important to not be sunshine and rainbows 100% of the time. But I do think that when you can, just just try to put the good stuff in front of the bad stuff, not to forget right. the bad stuff, but to at least, you know, kind of point a light forward in a way. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's it, you're going to be sad. You're going to, you're going to miss people. I, I try not to, my, I, I can't be a toxic, positive, to, positive person. <laughs> like I, I, I am that, I can be that way. And that's one of the things I'm working on and not being that way. I will put some shit in glitter or glitter on some shit in a yeah. minute, like for sure. And be like, oh, it's still shit. I will do it in a minute. I'm working on that right now. I really am being real, living in the moment, feeling it all, and then assessing from that point, putting your feelings in different compartments and, you know, making them real, but understanding what they are. Right. right. Is I am in therapy. Um, I wish so. that for everybody, everybody that can access it. I wish that for everybody, man. Yeah, I, I actually it's funny that Khan is actually the reason why I'm in therapy because he got a therapist and it was like it was night and day for him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah in a minute, you know, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't ready to peel back scabs, emotional right. and mental scabs, you know. And I was, you know, I thought I was okay because what I do is I just throw, just like how I clean my room, I put everything in the closet and I close the door real fast and my room is clean and then I open my closet door and it's an avalanche and it's just like everything falls on me it's terrible yep. that's how I am with my thoughts and things that are not so nice that's what I do they're there and they hold weight yes they um, do so yeah I actually have two therapists so oh wow How'd you swing that? You know, little, little hookup. Hey, <laughs> anybody that can do it. It's really important to me, probably more so than anything else, that, you know, that we get brothers, especially our straight brothers, to get into therapy because it feels yeah. like, you know, for Black men, you know, Black and brown men, there's such a tab. And the trauma that we go through just existing in the world, existing in America, as non-white people, yeah. I think that alone requires somebody to help process that stuff. Right. So, you know, I'm grateful 
that there's people like you spreading the word, people like Khan, all the people that are out uh, in the world right now sharing their stories. And they're like, this isn't just for white people. This isn't just for rich people, although rich people can certainly <laughs> like this is this is something that everybody needs to have as part it, like and you don't have to be in a straight jacket and foaming at the mouth and getting ready to get put in the ambulance to to need a therapist like right. you could just be a regular I, I don't mean to say regular but you can be in, in from the outside an untroubled seeming person and still get value out of sitting with somebody you know every week or every two weeks or every month or whatever yeah absolutely like sometimes my sessions are me just talking because I don't talk to people in real life. I don't. I have gotten bad news while in the middle of a celebration with a bunch of people around me via text and went right back to partying. Nobody ever knew. It's almost scary how well I can hide. I can hide disappointment and sadness in that front is, of everybody. That is some serious compartmentalization right there. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a little scary when, when it's brought up to me, you know, one of my biggest tasks this year is to talk to people around me, people who I know care, who want to listen. My biggest fear is being a burden. I, I feel that. I think a lot of people feel that. And I'm not, I don't want to lay any like, you know, but people love you. Like, I don't want to be that, that person. <laughs> You know, I think people have to kind of figure out for themselves that there are people there for them. But, yeah. you know, people should figure out that there are people there for them. You can't keep, you keep all that shit inside. It's like the closet metaphor. You know, you pack too much shit in the closet, the door is just going to pop off. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I was in March of 2018, I was actually hospitalized for what I thought was a panic attack was actually an, an acute heart attack. Oh shit. Yeah. And it wasn't sodium induced. It was hundred percent stress because I did not, I don't talk to people and um, my crazy ass drove myself to the hospital. It's, it's ridiculous. Lied to my, lied to everybody. It was like, Oh yeah, there's somebody coming to get me. So I ran to the car. It was, I was at work. I was at work. Wow. And there was a uh, little uh, minute clinic type of thing in the lower lobby because of, of this huge building. You ever seen the pictures of Detroit? It's like this weird three. Oh, oh the Renaissance building. You probably yep. know. What it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my office was in there. And um, there was a minute clinic at the bottom sponsored by Blue Cross. And I went in there and they hooked me up, hooked me up to an EKG. It was like, we need to get you a hot, to a hospital right now. I was like, why? He said, I can't do anything for you here. And he's making calls and he's all frantic. So uh, he steps out, I leave. I just leave and go to my hospital that I know where my people are. Right. <laughs> and I drove 20 minutes and from the ER, I called my mom and was like, hey, so you know, I'm at the, I'm at the hospital or whatever. And she was like, what? And she was pissed. She was sped up there and they told me, yeah, they they put a bunch of IVs in me and took care of me, but they stopped whatever and a bunch of medicine. They stopped it. I was super drained and tired. It was scary after the fact. In the moment, I was so numb 
to what was happening that I didn't realize that it was a big deal until wow. doctors told me it was a big deal. I just thought I couldn't breathe and it was a sharp stabbing pain in the middle of my chest and I wanted to go to sleep. Like I was like in so much pain that I could not do anything. And um, I somehow parked crooked as hell at this ER of the hospital that I've been going to my whole life. Just my, the whole hospital system is all connected to this particular hospital. And this, yeah, so I went there. <laughs> I knew the, I, my doctors were in the building next door. So I knew, you know, went in there. My main doctor came and was like, you got to chill out. You have to chill out. And that was a wake-up call for me. I bet. Yeah. That was scary as shit. Um, I didn't tell many people. I told, like, this is the most public I've ever talked about it. But people know, you know, I was in there for, like, four days. Wow. Um, what's crazy about it is my supervisor at Blue Cross, when I was having very obvious issues, was like, just go ahead and send me an email before you go. And just like, you know, you're going to be out of, set your out of office if you can. I was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. It was so crazy. It was crazy. Wow. That's got to change your perspective. It does. It really does. Yeah. Uh, A year later is when I started therapy. It took a year after that. I knew I was moving. I didn't want to get too serious, you know anybody and get attached and have to switch to virtual or whatever so yeah uh, that's how I got two therapists I was one is like a part of an organization that helps out in Jersey City and then the other one is you know one that comes that I, that I pay for comes out of my right mind. so right yeah. wow yeah so yeah that's that's the yeah yeah so yeah. so with all that in mind what is your what does your self-care look like Oh, all right. So here, all right, here we go. I have to binge watch something amazing. I have to do something that I want to do, even if it's not within my budget. For example, I have some bad back issues. I went and got me a little massage the other day, two days ago. Yeah. And uh, worked out those kinks. My self-care is not answering the phone when it rings. Also my new, my new thing that I'm adding to it is Ben and Jerry's strawberry cheesecake. That okay. is have you tried it? I have not. Is this a new discovery for you? I'm pretty sure they've made it for a while, but okay. I, I've freshly discovered it. It makes me feel so I don't like sweets that much. But this thing right here, it can it's it changes my mood. It All really right. does. There's some dopamine and something in there. They got it. <laughs> it it's it's something in there. But it, it just really you know, I just, it just releases all this serotonin and whatever else it just, it just comes right, you know, you know, so right now I'm binging you um, on Netflix. That's my thing. Like I have to get away from music for a minute for self-care because music is two things. It's the thing I love the most and it is also a job. Right. And because, you know, the, it's a fine line. Like I have things that I'm, after we wrap up, I got to record some vocals. So I'm already set up and ready, you know, but yeah. and you know, answering things that are not pressing the following day, the following morning, but not feeling obligated to answer right then. What else? Food. I love I love to eat. I will order something or go somewhere and get something that I really want. 
you know, regardless of, again, budget, I don't want anything to stop me from getting the things that make me happy on my self-care day. There ain't nothing wrong with and that. I, it's priority for me. It's like, yeah, I've been working my ass off. I've been, you know, writing these songs, producing these vocals and, you know, whatever else I'm doing, let me do this. Right. And, uh, it's a, it's, I demand it. It's a requirement. I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. So I got two more questions for you. One okay. sort of mental health related and one music related. The first question is because so much of music, because it's not a nine to five, when do you, when do you know when to stop? How do you know when to stop? When, if I'm writing something and I am forcing it and starting to feel like a job, go up to file and hit quit and save on the Pro Tools, get out of there. Because I'm doing, I'm not doing myself any good by trying to force creativity when I'm not even feeling motivated. Right. I'm wasting my time because the record's not gonna be great. It's not even gonna be good. Stop. You know, one thing in hip hop is people are always talking about team no sleep, but that. Yeah, man. Absolutely not. Sleep. There's nothing worse than a, a burnt out creative. You know, you hear music all the time. You work for a music company. Yep. Some of those records that you don't like, probably when they were burnt out. Yeah. Or somebody they're working with did not, did not, could not rise to the occasion because they don't, they, they didn't have the strength to do it. They, they weren't motivated. They were tired. I am team rest. I am team eight hours, if I can, you know? I think the best work comes from that as opposed to the opposite. Yeah. You know? And I, I was that I was that guy before. I was up on night making music and none of those records records placed. <laughs> none of those records opened doors. I don't even play those records for people when people want to hear my catalog. I'm not playing that shit. It's awful. Right. <laughs> you right. know? So I know in the rest of my body, when my mind stops thinking of things, and I'm always the guy in the room like coming up with something new. When my when that stops, it's a wrap. Time to go. Time to go. go. I feel that. And uh, sort of fun question was: as a vocal producer, mm -hmm. who in popular music, like past or present? Because I'm a big fan of vocal arrangements. Mm -hmm. Same. Who, who do do you see as like the north star for like vocal arranging? Brandy, Rihanna, Norwood, the first. It's not a second. <laughs> Brandy. Brandy is the blueprint. And there are others. I do love when Janet would get with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. They got some harmonies, okay? Yep. Boys to men, baby face. Can arrange some harmonies. Yes, we can. Faith Evans. Don't sleep on Faith Evans. Kim Burrell for the gospel folks out mm -hmm. there. Let me think. I gotta really think though, like harmonies to arrangement, 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 vocal arrangement, who goes crazy aside from people I just mentioned. And I gotta also, cause I, I know who sometimes is arranging it behind the scenes. And these are right. people I know who arranged it themselves. Right. And you, you mentioned today, who's out today that can arrange? Victoria Monet. Okay. Oh, wait, Mariah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mariah. Of course, Mariah. 
I'm gonna say '90s Mariah is my favorite. You know, she's a, she's she's changed, but yes, she's she still is. great. Yep, she's great. I'm giving you a lot of North Stars. All right, cool. I I, I know there's some. Yes, gospel. Who else is crazy? I would say Take Six, but that's not today's music. It was just those are mine for right now. Okay, yeah. all right. You got some good ones in it. there. You guys are Brandy. I mean, it's funny. I wouldn't have thought Brandy at first, at first, uh, first glance. But I was listening to "Who Is She to You Today," and I was like, like the production and the arrangement is crazy. It just kind of came from random. I haven't listened mm-hmm. to that song in forever, and I was just like, "Damn, I like this song." Um, I'm gonna sing you the acapella. Really? Okay. All right. Dope. You know, when you she... mentioned, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you, you go ahead. Yeah, as I said, you mentioned Jimmy Jam as well. And it's like, I, I, I always kind of equate him with Janet, but all of the records that he did, whether it was with like Janet or Ralph Tresvant or, mm-hmm. you know, Luther, Mariah, and he's done records with Mariah too. And all of them have like these crazy, crazy vocal, like, you know, melodies, counter melodies, like, stacked stacked i mean janet and ralph are particularly like famous for this just like 20 stacked vocals on top of one another you know and they all sound like they're they're harmonizing but they all also kind of sound like they they like all lock in and i love that sound like it's such like a a unique sound absolutely yeah that's uh that those those nice tight dissonant harmonies yeah i can't believe i forgot the late great michael jackson yeah yeah. Um, there's a video going viral right now where people have isolated his vocals on Thriller. On Thriller, yep. Yeah, and um, crazy, 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 crazy. Yeah. You know, his ear, fantastic. And I did, I, I was in the acapella group, so I'm picking out each note, like, oh, okay, wow, 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 wow. Okay, wow. But all of them are fantastic. I'm going to send you a list of Brandy songs that you might are, are you familiar with her catalog or? yeah i mean i know okay. i mean i've i've listened to i've owned i think all of her albums at one point or another okay because i was gonna say all but the first album have incredible it's when she got rodney when she got yeah. rodney and Lashawn daniels rest in peace the music that she was making not on her singles but her deep cuts it's like what are y'all doing and it reminds me her arrangements remind me of the stuff that I learned about in band, where there are counter melodies happening at the same time. And she just makes some of my favorite choices ever. But yeah, and you know, and what I'm understanding is she's doing all of that stuff. It's, she's coming up with, I've heard records that she did with other people that where LaShawn Daniels wasn't in the room. And I'm like, it's still, she's still doing yeah. these crazy things. Yeah. So she's my, she's my number one app for sure. She still blows my mind. She just has a great, a great tone. And it's something like, I'm not technically familiar enough with, with, with musical terms to really kind of say what it is. But I was even thinking, like you mentioned, Michael, there's It's Not Worth It, which has like little, mm. like random Michael clip in there. But yeah. like that opens acapella. And just there's like, as soon as the song starts, there's like 12 brandies coming at you. Um, <laughs> it, it's so dope. Yeah, I love that record so much. Yes. Yeah, I, I in college I would uh, smoke a little weed and um, break that stuff apart in my in some headphones similar to the ones we're wearing right now, and I would just like zone out and just 
just study it. And I, I had to be, I had to be great at it. And I, I, I think I'm okay. That's, I'm that's, hey, learning from the best. I tried to, and I'm still a student. I want to be a student forever. 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 Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Music has been the number one stress reliever in my life. It's provided me with warmth and comfort in literal as well as metaphorical ways. Whether I'm chilling out to Sade or getting energized by Jay-Z, music is never too far away from me. That's also a common thread through many episodes of Detoxicity, as not only is music the universal language, but many of the people that I interview are creatives with a focus on music. However, it's rare, for some reason, that I actually ask my guests what music they listen to, so I appreciate Marcus indulging me. I also want to thank Marcus, of course, for being so vulnerable and honest during our conversation and for taking the time to talk to us in the first place. You can follow Marcus on Instagram as Marcus Mims, M-A-R-C-U-S-M-I-M-S. Hey, y'all. It's me again. Just reminding you to please smash that subscribe button if you want to keep listening to this show. Leave a comment, rate us, whatever you can to push us up in the rankings. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, if you love the podcast, if you would like to be on the podcast, if you know somebody who is interested in being on the podcast or who would be a good fit to talk about masculinity, please feel free to reach out to me via my social media channels. I am on Instagram as DetoxPodGuy, and I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. You can even drop me an email, old school style, DetoxPod at gmail.com. By the way, not hating on anybody who still sends emails. I am old school proudly, and I send emails all the time. Uh, Detoxicity is produced and hosted by myself, Mike Joseph. Uh, The music for this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Calvin Williams. The logo for this show was designed by uh, Jacob Block. And I want to give a special shout out to Andrew Grossman and Jeff Giles for the inspiration to create this podcast. Uh, I thank you all for listening and hope that you're all keeping yourselves and each other safe out there. Take care. Peace.